Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be together. Uh, Tunde, if you don't mind uh, stopping the screen sharing, then um, uh, because I'm going, I'm going to uh, illustrate something here. Um, thank you, Richard, for reading that scripture he read from, from the message translation, um, which I sometimes find really beautiful because it's, it really translates the word in, in, in prose, in, in, in a poetic kind of way that sometimes really speaks to my heart. It's great when we get together that we can, uh, we can learn and we learn new things. Like uh, this morning, we learned from Joe that uh, um, in Afrikaans we say Joe is hardkoppig, uh, <laughs> which means he's he's a bit hard-headed, uh, definitely harder than an egg. But I'm sure that was not the intention of his of his lesson. But uh, thanks for that illustration, Joe. It was uh, very insightful, a lot to think about, and I'm sure one day you will reveal your secret of how you get uh, an egg, egg to be empty and look like a like a proper egg. So in that spirit of learning, um, maybe you want to get your message box ready and type some thoughts into the, into the message uh, box, into, into the chat box there. Um, maybe if you think back to school, or some of you are still in school, or some of you are teaching at school. And I wonder, who understands trigonometry? Or how do you even feel when you hear that word, trigonometry? I love it. Someone who loves it? Aneta. <laughs> Aneta. Ah, she's a, mathemat a mathematician or a scientist. Someone <laughs> loves it. Um, it's interesting as you go through, through school and university, there are some things, and trigonometry was one of those things for me. Chemistry was another thing. I managed to study it and regurgitate uh, all the right answers in the exams to pass, but I never really understood it. I see. Um, but today we're going to have a little bit of a trigonometry lesson as well in our in the sermon and I'll, I'll come back to that a bit later. So if you think like I never understood the trigonometry, maybe just today will be a chance for you to learn something a little bit about what it is. I can explain in a sentence. <laughs> can you explain in a sentence? Okay, give us your one sentence, Areta. <laughs> well, Trig, T-R-I-G comes from triangle, so it's a way to measure a triangle element using some other functions. Excellent. Okay, let's keep that in mind. Thank you, Aneta. That was very helpful. It's the way to measure a triangle. Mm -hmm. And that's what we, that, that's exactly very helpful for what we're going to look at. So just a quick review. I'm starting today uh, what will be a lengthy series going through the first letter of, of the Apostle John, uh, this book of 1 John. We finished uh, that, those two very small letters, 3 John and 2 John, and I talked about the way to walk and the way to run, uh, how we need to walk in truth and in obedience and in love, uh, and when we run, that we need to run with Christ. Now today, uh, in First John, we're actually going to have a one-sentence sermon, a bit like Aneta's one-sentence trigonometry lesson. Now, I know some of you are rejoicing. It's like, yay, one-sentence sermon, and then we can go, go and have our lunch. Um, a one-sentence sermon. This whole passage 
that uh, that uh, Richard read and we and that we saw on the screen there in First John chapter one, from verse one to verse four. In the original Greek, it's one long sentence. Now, that's not the way to pass your English GCSE. You, you'll get some grammar points deducted right there, I suspect, if you write a long sentence like that in English nowadays. But it's uh, it's interesting that the way John writes, it, it is like it. It's all one big picture that he's trying to paint and he doesn't want to break it up into sentences because it's all connected and all related to each other. And in, in English, we, we struggle with that kind of writing because it's so much to take in. So we are going to break it down a little bit into these verses and bits and pieces as we go through this passage today. Um, I will just read it again, this time in the New International Version. Uh, in verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. I want to talk today about forging a fellowship. And uh, we pick it up here in verse 3. We'll, we will return to verse 1 and 2 when we share the communion meal. In verse 3, he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that this proclamation that, uh, that John talks about here, he, he proclaims Christ, basically, in the first, uh, first two verses. And uh, he says, I do this so that. I'm going to pop in the chat box here or just unmute yourself quickly. What do you think is the purpose of this uh, proclamation of John? Any thoughts? Why does he make this proclamation? What does he say? What is the purpose of his proclamation? Uh, it sounds to me like uh, faith sharing. Okay, there we go. Pardon, like? Faith sharing. Say, let me tell you what I experienced so you can have a chance to do it as well. Right. Okay. Any other thoughts? What does he say? Why does he make this proclamation? Right. He says in verse, uh, verse um, 3, he says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The purpose of this proclamation, why he's proclaiming Christ, is, is to enable fellowship. Now that's quite interesting. What, what is meant by fellowship? When we, when we hear this word, fellowship, what do we think of? Do we think of uh, catching up with the latest gossip after, after the service? When we chat, oh, what's happening with this one and that one? How's life? Or, um, or is it a cup of tea? That we share, or a cup of coffee and, and some biscuits that we share after the service is, is that fellowship? Uh, sometimes we use the, the word in that sense. We say, oh, well, let's catch up in the fellowship afterwards, um, mm -hmm. or we'll break for some fellowship now. 
And uh, to some extent, that is a, a, a manifestation of fellowship. What, but what John actually says here is that fellowship is something way more than, than just a social kind of gathering and the social togetherness that we, that we have when we meet as a church. The, the Greek word here is koinonia. And it's a word that, that means communion or association or community, uh, a togetherness and a bond that is built on sharing a common reality or a common belief. It is to share something that we have in common. So what John is saying is that our fellowship, our association with each other, our community that we build, is not built on the kind of things that we have in common or that we have common interests. Now, some like football and some like rugby, and sometimes we'd see in the fellowship, they talk about, oh, how was Arsenal and Manchester game over the weekend? And I hear that and I kind of tune out and like, you know, whatever, it's football. And, and Joe and myself, we get all excited about the Springboks and the World Cup and, and the rugby and people get all about. Other people are, have no idea what's going on. They're like, what is they they're so excited about? There are some small pockets of things in this world where we may have some common interests and something in common that we share with. Um, and sometimes you can, you can feel very alone if that's all we look at to have in common in the fellowship. Um, it's interesting, when we moved to, to, to lead the church in Namibia, um, it's a very different kind of society. Now, we love the outdoors, we love camping, and when, uh, when we were in Namibia in the church there, we came up, we thought, we're going to have this, we have this great idea, let's take the whole church camping. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we thought, okay, you know, we, 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 you know, this is something we can all have something in common, we can go camping together, and we suggested to the church, and we got these strange looks, and like in, Nobody was really interested. And then one of the brothers said, like, what is this camping thing you're talking about? I said, oh, it's really great. You know, you, you, you take your tent and you go to the bush and you sit around the fire and then you cook your food on the fire and, and, and you sleep outside. And, and then this brother said, you know, that sounds like the village I grew up in. That doesn't sound like fun. That's just like normal how my, how my life was every day. Uh, cooking outside, sleeping outside. And I realized that, wow, what I thought we had in common, these and myself were actually the only ones who thought camping was something nice to do, having grown up in a, in a, in a, in a developed country with a nice house and everything. You, you kind of want to get away from it, out to nature, and, and uh, do something different, whereas for other people, uh, they couldn't understand it. And when you suddenly realize, uh, for me, it was kind of like for a while, it's like, am I the only one in this church who likes camping? And, and it was, you, you can sometimes kind of feel alone. And maybe that's something, if you think about yourself, maybe there's something that you like. 
uh, that it seemed like, well, there's nobody else in the church who likes this. And, uh, and you could even feel alone. But what's amazing, what John says here, is that our fellowship is not built on things like that. He says our fellowship comes from this proclamation of Christ. He says, I testify, we testify to, to all these, to what we've seen, heard, and touched, talking about the word of life, which is another uh, a way of, de of describing Jesus. It's a name for Jesus. He says, what we testify to, Christ, what we proclaim, we do this so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what John is saying here is that because we have fellowship with God and with his Son, Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with each other. And even if there's nothing else in this world that we have in common, even if we share no common interest, we don't like the same sport, or we don't support the same team, or we don't like sport at all, or we like knitting, or we hate knitting, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter because John says here, what actually gives us fellowship is having fellowship with God. And when we think about the outcome of that kind of fellowship, that it's a, actually a fellowship with God, it is incre incredible what kind of impact it has on our lives. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 42 in Acts 2. In this passage here in Acts 2, this is basically the start of the Christian church. And just before this passage, Peter stood up and he proclaimed the gospel, just like John does here, proclaiming Christ. He proclaimed the gospel to thousands of Jews gathered in Jerusalem. And many of them believe, and thousands are getting baptized, and the Christian church get established. And here in verse 42, we read about how it was in this first Christian church in Jerusalem. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This first church was devoted to fellowship. They, was, they were devoted to this togetherness, to this new community that was formed. And the amazing thing is that this first church was made up of Jews who came from all over uh, the Middle East and Europe and Africa, uh, all around the Mediterranean. We read about there were Jews from all the way to, uh, to the west, maybe as far as France or Spain, and to the north, uh, to the south from North Africa, and from modern day Iraq and uh, Syria and Egypt, and even as far south as Ethiopia. Very different people from different cultures, different places, all together, and they were suddenly devoted to this fellowship. And that was not because uh, of a common culture that they shared, although they shared the Jewish culture, but because of this new fellowship with Christ that they found in getting baptized. 
So what impact did this devotion to the fellowship have? In verse 43, we see that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And then it says in verse 44, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, if we read about this kind of fellowship they had, is that there's clearly a world of difference between this and mere social activities. It was not just getting together to watch a movie together or play some games together or go to the park together and hang out, have a picnic together. There was a level of devotion here. Um, and when he says that everything in common, it doesn't mean that they shared the same opinions and hobbies and what everything. It means that physically what they had, they shared with each other. They really lived as a community to the point where some of them sold what they had because there were some needy ones among them. And they continued to meet together. Fellowship sometimes ask of us to, to give and to make some sacrifices uh, to those in our community and our fellowship. And the important thing is to understand here is that why would we, why would anybody be so motivated to be devoted to this fellowship? Now, some people are naturally very social, but other people are not that social. They, they don't, they don't crave that, don't crave that social busyness. Yet these uh, early disciples, early Christians were all devoted in this way to the fellowship. And I think that is because their fellowship was not two-dimensional. It was not just a uh, fellowship with each other. It wasn't just horizontal. Now, this is where the trigonometry lesson comes in. Because what John says is that this fellowship comes from having fellowship with God. So it basically works like this. I'm going to try and uh, sketch it here. I hope it's, it's clear. If we have God at the top of a triangle here, and we have disciple one here and disciple two there, um, this is disciple one and this is disciple two. And let's say, you know, they, these two are not very close to each other. There's a distance between them. Maybe they don't share much in common. Maybe they've had some conflict. Maybe, you know, there's some irritations. Maybe they don't think the same. Maybe they have some difference of opinion about some things. And let's call this distance between them, let's say it's a 10. And we go and talk to them and say, well, you know what, you, you two don't really have great fellowship with each other. How about you get closer to each other? Like, well, they've had some conflict, things are not really great between them. And both are a bit reluctant to say, well, I, I, I will take a step closer to him if he takes a step closer to me. And both are like, no, no, he needs to take the first step. No, no, he needs to take the first step. And as long as they think like that, they're not going to get any closer to each other. And there will be distance in the fellowship. 
But what John says here is that our fellowship is first with God. Now, if disciple one's fellowship is with God, and disciples two fellowship is with God, what do we have there? A triangle. This is where our trigonometry comes in. What if disciple one decides to take a step closer to God? So disciple one goes from there and he says, I'm going to get closer in my fellowship with God. And he goes there. And then disciple two says, I want to get closer in my fellowship with God. And he takes a step closer to God. And he ends up there. Now, if that was 10, and this was 10, now we're going to have to ask Aneta to calculate this for us. <laughs> um, but if that was 10, and this was 10, and now, since he's taken a step closer, now he's only two away from God, and he's only two away from God. How close are they now to each other? The amazing thing is, without taking a step closer to each other, by taking a step closer to God, both these two have become closer to each other. And I believe that that will be a two as well. So by coming closer to God as a two and a two, suddenly these two are now just two steps away from each other instead of being 10 steps away from each other. And that is the, the essence of the message that John is trying to convey here. He says, our fellowship is primarily with God. And because we have this fellowship with God, it is not two-dimensional. It is, it is a, a, a vertical uh, fellowship before it is even a horizontal fellowship. And our horizontal fellowship is because of that common vertical fellowship. And if we understand and know the reality and have that fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, then we understand and can be closer in our fellowship with each other because of our common relationship with God. If uh, um, and, the, and the impact of this is kind of a small scale illustration with just two people, uh, but this expands, of course, to to all disciples and all Christians, and and to us as a, as a church community, whether we meet locally or or in the bigger picture as a as a church. It's a bit like a, in a symphony orchestra. If you're familiar with uh, with the big symphony orchestra. And you think like, how can, if you ever heard a, a symphony orchestra play, it's, it's beautiful. And there could be like a hundred members in the orchestra. How can they all be in tune? And how it starts to, when an orchestra tunes is the, the, the primary violinist, it's called first violin, tunes his or her violin. And then once the first violin is tuned, then that violinist plays a note and the rest of the orchestra tunes into that first violinist. And in that way, they can all be at the same pitch and be in tune with each other. 
And what John is saying here is that if we are in tune with God, if we are in tune with Christ, then automatically and naturally we will be in tune with each other. And that is the essence of the fellowship that we have with each other. If our fellowship is with God and with Christ, then it has the kind of impact that we read about here in, uh, in Acts, where people were devoted to the fellowship. They were not devoted to the fellowship because they liked each other so much, but they were devoted to the fellowship because they liked God so much. They did not have everything in common because they thought, ah, I like to share my things with this guy. They had everything in common because they had everything in common with God. They gave to anyone who had need because God gave to them everything he had. They continued to meet together, not just because they liked each other so much, because that is the way to meet before God and to meet with God. Everything that we see here in Acts 2 about this, the early church and their fellowship was based on having fellowship with God. And I think if we apply this to ourselves, we can maybe ask ourselves, you know, what are some points of limitation that you feel in your fellowship with other Christians? And maybe you're good. You think like, there's nothing, I'm good. But uh, I, I know that, that there's been times where I've kind of like avoided someone in the, in the fellowship. You know, coming to church, when we get together, I'm like, oh, I really don't want to talk to him today. And I kind of avoid that one. That's a limitation in my fellowship with my brother. And if we think about that, what is, are there some points of limitation in your fellowship with the other disciples, with other Christians? And if we think about that, you think, oh, how can I take a step closer to this brother or sister? And then we keep on hitting the same barrier or the same limitation. If we think about it differently and say, how can I take a step closer to God to resolve that? How can I take a step closer to God so that that will take me a step closer to my brother or sister in the fellowship? And that's the, I think, the essence of what John is proclaiming to us and what we can apply to our own lives today as we forge a fellowship in Christ, because that is primarily where our fellowship is. It is in Christ. In verse 4 of 1 John, John uh, kind of concludes this long sentence, and he says, we write this to make our joy complete. Now, if you, if you have a footnote in your Bible, you will see that some translation says your joy, some says our joy. Um, and there are sometimes scriptural differences like this. I'm not going to go into all the detail, but if you feel confused by that, it's like, oh, well, which one is the correct one? How do I, you know, there's a big difference between our and your. Uh, my attitude and approach to this is always, as well, it's instead of saying it's exclusive one or the other, let's add them together and say, well, we write this to make both our joy and your joy complete. What John says here is that 
our joy is really found in a united fellowship. Um, when, when we have a, a fellowship with Christ and fellowship with God, and that unites us together as a church in fellowship, there is real joy in that. And John says, you know, make my joy complete by being united, by, by having this kind of fellowship. But guess what? It will also make your joy complete if you can have this united fellowship. And we see this actually, if you go and read Paul's letters and Peter's letters, you see it throughout the letters of the apostles, how they talk about this joy of the fellowship. And I'm not going to go through a long list of, uh, of scriptures about that now. Um, but fellowship that's based on God also brings joy to our lives. We're going to move on to the uh, communion now. And backtrack a bit to the first two verses of First uh, John, uh, verse 1, 2, and the first bit of, of verse 3. And you may find that my communion message is actually the same as my previous communion message a month ago from Second John 1, verse 7. It's like, well, am I allowed to repeat myself? Well, you know, that is how we cultivate healthy habits is by repeating something, something good. Um, and what I said a month ago in 2 John 1, 1 verse 7 is that communion is a celebration and a proclamation. The celebration part is that we usually focus on. We focus on the message of, of forgiveness of sins, and, and that's right, that, that sense of remembrance, of gratitude, of celebrating our forgiveness and salvation. But communion is also a proclamation of faith and of hope. And if we go back to 1 John chapter 1, in verse 1, it's, uh, when John makes this proclamation, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And it's interesting, John engages all the senses here. Well, not all of them, but many of them. He talks about hearing. He talks about seeing. He even talks about touching, having himself touched Jesus. Uh, and even when Thomas was doubting, when Jesus, after he was resurrected, Jesus said, come, poke your fingers in the holes in my, <laughs> in my arms where the nails went through. It was like in ruin. <laughs> But Jesus says, come and touch me to see that this resurrection is real. And John proclaims, he says, he engages all these senses and says, that is what we proclaim to you, is that Jesus in his humanity was real. But then he also says, in his divinity he was real, because we proclaim to you the word of life. And that is how the apostles lived their lives. Very early in Acts, uh, when Peter and John were called before this, dragged before the Sanhedrin and thrown in, in, in prison for a night, uh, when they 
brought their testimony before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, they said, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, this sounds great, but how about us? How can we testify to what we have not seen, what we have not touched, what we have not heard? I didn't see Jesus. I never touched him. I never heard him. A bit of comfort is that Peter writes and he says, you know what? It's amazing that those, those are blessed. And Jesus said, those will be blessed who do not have the privilege of seeing him firsthand. But what I can testify to and proclaim is that I can still hear Jesus by just opening my Bible and reading his words. And when I read that, I can see that this is, these are not just normal, ordinary words. And can I still see Jesus? No, I cannot, but I can still see today the impact that Jesus had on the world and is still having on the world. I can see his impact in people's lives. I can see his impact in my life. And if I had to, like the apostles say, I testify to what I have seen and heard, I can also testify to, yeah, I've heard Jesus. I've, I've read his words and it speaks to me as if I was sitting at his feet 2,000 years ago. I can see Jesus in people's lives because I can see the transformation and the difference he makes to people's lives. And I can testify to it because he's transformed my very own life. And this proclamation that, uh, that John makes here, he says, we have seen this and we, have, we proclaim to you now the eternal life. He's not just proclaiming the life of Jesus, but also his resurrection. And like we read last time in Corinthians, uh, Paul says, for whenever we eat this bread or drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we have the, the bread and the fruit of the vine, let us also reflect on that, that we are, by having the, this bread and wine, proclaiming Christ. We are proclaiming his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection through this communion that we're about to have. And let's reflect on that, that uh, we are proclaiming his uh, humanity and his divinity, being God in the flesh. And that his resurrection that we proclaim is also our hope of resurrection to eternal life. Let's pray for the bread and wine. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to this earth, God. Thank you for the fellowship that we can have with him and for the fellowship we can have with you, God. Thank you that this fellowship is possible through the forgiveness of our sins that takes away the barrier between you and us, God, that reconciles us to you, Father. Father, thank you that uh, the resurrection of Christ is also uh, gives us hope for our own resurrection, God. As we have this bread and wine, Father, Please bless it in our bodies and help us to remember that this broken body represented by the bread also represents hope of a resurrected body for us, God. And the fruit of the vine 
that represents the blood of Christ reminds us of the covenant that you've made with us to promise us eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name.